Hey, folks, I'm Tom. I'm KJ. You know the drill. We're back here once again to remind you about the benefits of the Dunlap Champions Club. If you haven't sampled it still, well, find one of your friends or somebody that has. Uh, you know, the spring game in the rearview mirror. Certainly uh, some other folks got an opportunity in there to enjoy what is uh, just terrific space. Every now and then when you're hanging out in the Dunlap Champions Club, an MC Hammer concert breaks out, too, so you never know what you're going to get. And if you haven't had the opportunity to even be there, you can schedule a private tour. Just call 850-644-1830. Tickets are available. It's a, it's a home schedule that uh, you'll enjoy visiting there, and particularly if we get any of those noon, noon kickoffs, you'll be air-conditioned and ready to go. Well, that is a good point. I just, in general, I didn't want to have a noon kickoff conversation, but I get your point. And the home schedule, of course, includes Miami, NC State, Louisville, Syracuse, uh, whatever it is, 644-1830, the number to call or, or, or go online, seminoles.com uh, slash tickets, and check out the Dunlap Champions Club. And we really like them because they allow us to then put this on the podcast, and it's without commercial interruption. Is that how we say it? This being Front Row Knowles. Take it away. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Good day, everybody. Great day, everybody. We're talking College World Series. Keith, how let's, are you? Let's go to Omaha. Let's go to Omaha. You and I have not discussed this yet, but I have a hotel reservation for the championship round. How about you? You feel like driving? Or are we going to get an airfare, uh, airplane? We'll flip a coin, but I, I, I would drive if, if available and appropriate. I just got to negotiate that with the missus on the home front. Let her know I'll be gone for uh, those four days. All right, we're screwed. Now, hold on a second now. I do let a, I, I need to let a little space happen between what happened at, at LSU, though, before I have that conversation. Yeah, by the way, have you... And uh, by the way, she doesn't listen to this show, so I'm completely safe right now. Have you uh, uh, been able to uh, get your kitchen pass back yet? Have you still eating out back on the deck? Or what? you and the kids, are, what are you doing? So, it's all good. Okay. It's all good. Obviously, she went to LSU, but she knows the Martins as well. And so... While she's disappointed for her team, she's really excited for Mike Martin and and all the Martins, as as I think all of us are, because this this really is. Everybody's you, been you, saying it's fairy tale, storybook, whatever. But would you say this is even beyond fairy tale Cinderella? Well, I mean, I, this this can't happen except anywhere in a movie. I would say yes to that. And so, first of all, I had a chance to uh, sit down with Mike Martin, and you'll hear that interview in the next segment. Uh, it was actually that interview was recorded Tuesday, and so I'll just go ahead and let you know now when he refers to Eaton Steak tomorrow, he's actually talking about today because the team traveled to Omaha uh, early afternoon, and that will be a fine steak dinner tonight. Correct. But I brought that out because it wasn't just that they won. I mean, when you, you can pick all the storylines. A, last four in. B, first time ever a number three seed. C, they went on the road and beat the guy who's going to be the number one pick in the draft next year, maybe, if projections continue. First team in the super regional era to win at an SEC team in the regional and at an SEC team in the super regional. And then you go beyond that and you look at the individual storylines and you've got a guy that was on the club team and was the last guy on the roster that did nothing all year and all of a sudden he's... Babe Ruth. And and they don't ask him to bunt. Now, we, we've not asked the question unless you ask 11, and I'm not aware of it. Had he had any practice bunting, because you don't do that at the club level, you're swinging for the fence every time. But 
didn't ask him to bunt, let him swing away, didn't convert, but had enough confidence he, he to did, let him do that. He did fail on one bunt attempt this weekend, though, his safety squeeze, and he popped it up. I forget if that was – I guess that was game one, if I'm remembering right. I've but, forgot, forgotten about that. But, but but to your point, though, and this goes to the storybook conversation. We talked about it last week. There was a situation in one of the Georgia games, first and second, nobody out. That's the one time when you would normally see 11 bunt. He didn't, and whoever it was struck out. And you're thinking, well, we should have bunted. But then the next guy hits a double to the gap. It doesn't matter. Well, similar thing happened here. After Becker pops out, I don't recall the exact circumstances, somebody else picked him up with a hit, and they still got the runs home despite failing on the bunt. So everything has been going right. It won't always be that way, but I hope it lasts another two weeks. And uh, obviously criticism against uh, LSU for pitching to Mendoza because you had first base open. But who knows whether that would have gone any different had it been the case, given how well Florida State has been picking each other up. I wanted to ask Mike Martin that question about the hindsight, second-guessing nature of the sport that he's devoted his life to. And I failed to, even though I had made a note. But if you think to one year ago, he brought back Parrish after the rain delay, two hours, whatever it was. We know the result. It got universally panned, much more so because of the result than had he gotten away with it, so to speak. So Mike Martin was, you know, criticized, second-guessed, all that. Now, fast forward a year, and every decision he makes is going right, including playing the club player. I have a theory, though. I think he and me and Tyler – sat down before they went to Georgia, and they said, you know, every time we have a situation where the book says X, we're going to do Y. <laughs> and we're going to begin with meet, tell the kids to broaden their strike zone. I can't prove that. I don't know if 11 or anybody else would ever admit to that. But everything he's done has kind of been against the book, and it's turned out to be right. Yeah, I don't know that they broadened the, the strike zone. They were certainly more aggressive, and it may have just been the book on that pitcher that this is where he's going to be for right. his pitch. So, right. so we've got more pitches to to swing at. No, but my my bigger point is now you have LSU fans, and because of uh, my wife's connection there, I follow LSU a little bit more closely than most probably do. Uh, this weekend, obviously, I, I was tuned in. They haven't been ha- happy with Paul Maneri for a number of years on the baseball front, even though – He's won a national title there. And that goes to the larger context of would this conversation be different about Mike Martin had he won a title in 1986 or would we still be frustrated because it's been since 1986? Well, Paul Maneri won one in 2009. But what LSU fans are fixated on right now is that three out of the last five or six times they've hosted a Super Regional, they haven't advanced from Baton Rouge, from that environment. Well, here's another stat for you. If I read it correctly, and I think I may even text it to you early, the last three teams to beat LSU in the Super Regional in Baton Rouge have gone on to win the College World Series. That's what I read the text. Slight the, slight modification. It's the last three teams to eliminate LSU from the NCAA tournament. Because one of those years they played in the championship final in Omaha, but they lost. And so the other so the last three teams that have ended LSU's season. So two at the super regional level and one. I think that's at right. Omaha. I think that's Either right. way, again, that sets up fairly, fairly good, if you will, for Florida State. My, my point being, what I wanted to hear Mike Martin comment on, and this wouldn't have been the time to get him to really comment on it, but you made your living in a sport that is more susceptible to second guessing than any other sport. I think football, football has a lot of Monday morning quarterback, but because of the jargon, and, and some of this is 
better explained via all the media outlets and Twitter and all that now. But I think there's always been this, well, there's a little bit of sophistication and maybe we don't know what we're talking about, so we're not going to second-guess the coach as much in football. Uh, And basketball maybe is more elementary that you're not paying as much attention to scheme and whether it was man or zone, you're just going, well, that guy didn't make a shot, so that's not on the coach. But baseball inherently is what in the heck is that guy doing? And And I said it when it came up. Now, granted, it was my eight-year-old son, Nolan. I said, Nolan, I cannot believe they are pitching to Drew Mendoza. He goes, what do you mean? I said, the book says you put him on first base and you pitch to the freshman behind him. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, Maneri, after the game, said they felt like they had a better, that Mendoza's more susceptible to a strikeout. Martin's average is higher, Robbie Martin. So, But if you followed Florida State at all, I mean, if it's me or you or anybody that follows FSU, and you're going to say, okay, would I rather pitch to Mendoza or Martin here? You're going to choose Martin. Every time. Every time. And that's part of the storybook, too, because Mendoza turned down, I'm sure, seven figures or high six figures to come to FSU because his parents had both gone to FSU. And now the guy who's literally a Garnet Gold family is the hero in the Supers. It was, wow. It's just been a crazy run. Uh was impressive. I was not in Baton Rouge. Heard lots of great stories. Um, I've been to that stadium several times before, before, as we talked about last week. But it's just it's just a remarkable run. So now all that said, speaking of second guessing, let's do the first guessing. Drew Parrish. Or C.J. Van Eyck in game one? Despite the fact that Parrish has not performed as well as Van Eyck has in at least the last two weeks, I don't mix anything up. I, I keep what got me there. I go with Parrish at game one. Well, that's what they're going to do. And I ask him about that, and you'll hear his answer. I had put out on Twitter, I think, Monday morning, if FSU played Sunday, Tuesday, their first game was Sunday instead of Saturday, I think I would have made the switch because CJ would have had a full week to recover from Sunday to Sunday. Now, I know Sunday to Saturday, especially when you watch pro ball, that feels like it should be enough time. But in college ball, you basically pitch once a week. And he's coming off a career high in pitches. And I didn't take the time to look up. They certainly could. How has he done when he's pitched a day short or a day longer? Right, right. Uh, Because another part of the equation is how does Parrish do if he now gets two days more rest? Is he worse or better? So there's there's other things there. So I'm okay with where they landed because it's a Saturday game. Had it been Sunday, I think I, w- I might have been fighting for CJ a little bit more to be at the front. I, I think I'd, I would disagree with you again for my stupid reason of this is the way we've done it and it's worked out. We're not going to change it right. until we have to. Right, and that's certainly uh, solid reasoning. You know, you don't mess with a winning streak, right? And don't misunderstand. I'm not saying to, Parrish to paraf- has been bad. To paraphrase the line from Bull Durham, yeah. you don't. I'm not saying Parrish has been bad. It's just that that, that, that Van Eyck and, and and the others behind him, I mean, they have thrown exceptionally well. Exceptionally well. Just to extrapolate that a little further, so the reality is you want to win your first two games. So Van Eyck and Parrish are both going to get a chance. To me, it's more about if you play all the way to the end and you make the championship round, can you bring one of those guys back for a third game? And so if you started, if you were in Saturday and you pitch Van Eyck Saturday, then you might get him the next week on Thursday or Friday to get to the championship round. And then in a winner-take-all game three, you might bring him back on four days rest in that Wednesday game to get four innings. So you would have a chance to pitch him three times. By doing it this way, I think you're really looking at two times. And what you hope is Parrish gets a win, Van Eyck gets a win. Now you're in the driver's seat. You pitch Grady, and he gets a win. And now you go to the championship round and you're loaded up with 
Parrish, Van Eyck, Grady again. Yeah. That's the perfect scenario. Where, where you, dumb statement where you run into problems is when you've got to play. I think, you, I think in a perfect world, perfect bad world, you play five games to get to the championship, correct? That's the perfect scenario. No, I mean five games in the in the round robin. Can you play oh, five or is it only no, four? No, you can play five okay. in, in the first part because it's like a regular – if you lose your first game and then you get out of there, you're going to end up playing five. And so then you play, you would play at least two more or maybe three more when yeah. you get to you, The most you could play is eight. The fewest you could play is five to win the whole thing. And that's why I go back to yours. If in the perfect world, you play the three – and you get into the championship and you start over. That that obviously is everybody's goal. They're going to face Arkansas's ace, SEC pitcher of the year. Tremendous numbers. I was looking at him yesterday. He's 12, 12 and 1, ERA below 2. Uh, two and a quarter. Yep. His strikeout to walks is like a 120 to 20 or something like that, 5 or 6 to 1. So obviously he's got great command throws, mid-90s. But you know what? It's not any better than what the Georgia ace was, and they found the book on him and, and found a way to, to have success. Uh, so we'll see. I just I can't believe they're here, frankly. I read one commentary that said even if they go to and out, you couldn't get any better. And my, my comment was, yeah, you could. <laughs> you could win it. <laughs> but I, I guess that's being selfish. Well, but. that's the unfortunate thing. And I do think that Mike Martin – so there have been years – some of his best teams, in my recollection, most notably 97 with J.D. Drew and Jeremy Morris, didn't make it to Omaha. But there's a lot of other years he's taken teams that, quite frankly, were not among the top eight. And then he went out there and they went two and Q or one and two, and he got panned for not having success there. And and I would put this year's team in that bucket. Now, they're playing great right now, and if it continues, yeah, you've got a one and eight chance to win it. Who knows? But the reality is, if they do go one and two, could we really have expected more from a team that at one point went 7-13 and 13 over a 20-game stretch this year? Not, in other not words, if you're realistic. In not other if you're words, realistic. Has he not maximized what the potential of this team is already? I would, I would say without question, yes. Yeah, I, I guess the bigger point is he's, he's a victim of his own success for taking lesser teams at times out there and getting to the precipice but not being able to win at all, yep. uh, if that makes sense. What flavor uh, Zestos would you get out? You've never been to Omaha. I've never have you? been to Omaha. You never, so let me. I, I think we did. We did some of this. Been related, to Wichita. Does that count? Here's for folks. <laughs> for, Wichita does not count. I'm just asking. You know, Omaha is like a million people. By the way, I mean, it's a huge. City. It's, it's a huge city. Like, and look at all your credit card statements. All those companies are right there in Omaha, right? Um, here, here's the list, and I put some of this out for Baton Rouge last week. Obviously, you got to get steak when you're in Omaha. Mike Martin will talk about that. The old market is the downtown area, restaurants, bars, shops, people walk around. Zesto's is the shake shop, and it, it became famous at Rosenblatt, but don't worry. It's by TD Ameritrade, so you got to go there. There's the zoo, which you don't think you really want to go to the zoo. It's hot out, and then you get to day six in Omaha, and you think, what in the world am I going to do? Let's go to the zoo. Because that is one thing about this trip to Omaha. As soon as you win one game, the trip is already got time. It's already an eight day trip. You got time. It's already an eight day trip. Uh, little, well, not a little known fact if you've gone, but right across the Missouri River, uh, you're into Iowa gambling. They have riverboat casinos right there. And when I say right across the river, it's like two miles from TD Ameritrade. So you can get that in. Uh, the old Rosenblatt, they leveled it, but they kept a little part of it i i don't remember if they kept maybe the infield there and there's some uh statues that memorialize it uh, or honor it so you can go there and friday is pretty cool i'll stop with this for those and i have met some people who are going for the first time 
Uh, Friday, they have open practices at TD Ameritrade. So every team gets an hour on the field, and immediately following, they do an autograph session in the stadium, which is really cool, especially if you're going out with uh, with kids and whatnot, or if you're an autograph hound, I guess, and you're making your living by selling Drew Mendoza autograph baseballs online, hoping he goes big. Did you make notes of that? I've, I've made a note. Okay. it's I can't read it, but I've made it. Do you know who is going this weekend? Speaking of people who have not been. Who is going? John Thrasher. I, he probably is. He may have been there. That wasn't where I was headed. Madison Social Twitter guy. Ah! A.K.A. Matt is going. He's in. <laughs> He's arriving Friday. He's bringing his son. So he will uh, check many of these things off the bucket list there. Good for him. So good, good for him. him. For those of you who are not, though, Madison Social, probably a pretty good place to watch the action. 7 o'clock Saturday night. It'll be a good time. And do, do we know game time for, well, you don't, it's whether you win or lose. Right. But uh, you'll play again on Monday. You play Monday. Monday. That yeah. go, oh, sorry. Back so they'll, they'll play Monday. they'll play Saturday, Monday, Wednesday. But where it gets dicey is if you're it, it, once you get into the losers bracket, then you potentially play either Thursday, Friday as well, or Friday, Saturday as well. You get into a three out of four days, something like that. We'll cross that bridge when we get there. How about that? Maybe we won't have to worry about it. Speaking of that, there's the Bob Carey pedestrian bridge that goes across the Missouri River. If you go right to the middle, you can stand with one foot in Nebraska and one foot in Iowa. Hmm. I'm sure that's always been on your – it's not quite the that, same. Did you check that off your bucket list when you were there? I, I, I did because okay. I was with my daughter. Now, it's not quite the same as when you go to Niagara Falls and you can have one foot in the U.S. and one in Canada. I'm not going to put we, it at we've that done, We've done that one together. We, we have done that one together. We've yep. spent a lot of time together, <laughs> including 17 miserable minutes here today. <laughs> we will uh, have a conversation with uh, skipper Mike Martin, who reflects on his career and his various trips to the College World Series. And we continue on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back. Front Row Knowles, Tom and KJ with you. Keith, have you been keeping track of all the times the number 11 has come into play this year at significant moments, such as season opening game, final score, 11-0 FSU. Last game, ACC tournament, final score, 11-0 FSU. Had not been paying attention. Reese Albert, epic at bat which we didn't discuss. 11 pitches. 11 pitches. Number of runs scored over the weekend to get out of Baton Rouge. I'm going to go with 11. Yeah, correct. How about that? That's a little... Now we're getting scary. This is the... If this happens... So the NC State game was win number one in a row of a win streak. Then three in Athens, that's four. Two in LSU, that's six. Win five. Win five straight in Omaha... It would be 11, and you'd be national champs. Now, that is where the storybook just goes to the absurd, and we actually do make a movie about it. And speaking of movies and movie-type endings, listen to the end of this interview I did with Mike Martin because I don't think many are aware of sort of a connection to the start of his career and something pretty memorable 
in not just sports history, but U.S. history. So anyway, kind uh, thanks to Mike Martin for sitting down with, with me uh, yesterday uh, as the team is traveling to Omaha today. So I think you'll enjoy this interview. Take a listen. Eleven, congratulations. I just commented you're still grinning ear to ear. Is it is it one of these you have to pinch yourself to believe it kind of things? I mean, I know you didn't lose faith in your team, but for this to be the last go-round and you to be heading back to Omaha, it's pretty fitting. Oh, Tom, it's, it's uh, exhilarating. We just got a group of young men that have fought so hard after going through some adversity and you know, it, it, it's kind of like golf. You play three or four holes real poorly. Sometimes you say uh, you, you can't wait till this round is over with. doesn't work that way in every sport, and baseball is one in which you have to be mentally tough. Our guys really so-called stepped up to the plate, no pun intended, and really worked hard to get better. Leadership surfaced. Guys really took advantage of opportunities. We made a couple of lineup changes. I can't tell you how happy I am at this point to see these young men come from behind like they did and fight and get their way. We're going to Omaha. How do you balance we're going to Omaha with we're going to Omaha to win the whole darn thing? Well, we've never gone out there with anything but the expectations of winning it. We know that there's a lot of good baseball teams in the country. We just played two very good baseball teams in their own backyard and played extremely well for four games. We've just got to continue to work hard. We arrive tomorrow in Omaha. We've got practice lined up a couple of days before we play. It's just uh, it's a memory, Tom. It's something that our guys will always look forward to. This will be trip number 17. You talk about memories. What do you recall about trip number one? And I'm talking about 1980, your first year as skipper. Well, I remember that we played the University of Hawaii, and we we really thought we had everything under control, and they got a big triple with the bases loaded that kind of put the game away, and, and that hurt us. And we played the next day against Hawaii and got beat. And we were on our way back home in less than three days. It was a very disappointing experience, but it was something that was good for our guys to get there to see what it was like. But, I, heck, I can remember the first game that we played out there. There was only six or 7,000 people in the stands, and now they're disappointed if they don't have twenty five or 26,000. Going even farther back, I know you got hurt during your playing days, and I think that was an Omaha year. Did, did you go with the team to Omaha and then just not play in the series? Yes, I broke my arm at Clemson in the middle of the season. And back then we didn't have what we have now in rehab equipment. and I was not even close to swinging a bat in June and I never truly found out, but there's a man here in town named Doug Manheimer whose grandmother and granddaddy paid my way to go to the College World Series and coach first base. And I was laughing with somebody a year or two ago, and I said, you know, I could be the only guy that's ever coached first base coach third base, and coach from the dugout in the history of the series. <laughs> well, you, you may not be the only team, but you've also got a staff where every member of your staff has 
played in the World Series as a member of the Florida State program. Well, that's so encouraging. Mike has played two years in the series in 94-95. Tyler played in, in 08 and 10. And Clyde played and pitched extremely well in the 89. 89, yes. So it's been a couple of years since you've been out there and you've seen Omaha evolve. So I, I know the steak's going to taste probably better even this time than the previous 16 or 17 trips, counting the one as a, in your playing days. But uh, where's the, where, you know, what's the best steak in Omaha? Well, we like to think Prime Steakhouse is the best. Uh, we've been to a number of steakhouses from the Drover to Casio's, and it's just uh, – it's hard to get a bad steak in the city of Omaha, but the night we went to Prime, we said if we can get back out here, this is where we want to go. And tomorrow, by George, we're going to Prime. <laughs> Favorite flavor shake at Zesto? I got to go caramel. I, I don't get caramel down here, but I do enjoy it out there because they just, gosh, it's hard for me to eat it all. But the, the caramel shake is what I like. I want to go back to the storybook nature of this because it's just been one. It's not just that your team is here, but I, the hero the other night is Mendoza, both of who, you know, his, his parents both went to FSU. He turned down a lot of money to come wear garnet and gold. And so you couldn't really author that he would be the hero, and yet he is. Drew Mendoza is the type of young man that once you get to know him, you know that no matter what, profession he moves into as he gets into his 30s I, I have a feeling it's going to be a major league baseball contract he's he's got it he's a guy that is a great teammate he's a, a corner guy he can play first or third he can face right or left-handed uh, pitching he's got He's got it is the only way you can say it. He is a tough out. I don't care who's on the mound. Drew Mendoza's a tough out. And then the storybook with really a fairy tale for Tim Becker. I mean, we, we know the story by now that he made he was on the club team, made it as a walk-on, but he basically was guy number 35 on your roster, I think. I mean, how many guys like this have, you, have even made your team over the years as a walk-on, let alone contributed at this kind of level? I mean, do nothing all season but then show up in a big spot. It's a true fairy tale that you're talking about. He was not playing at all the first 40 games, and then all of a sudden we we gave him an opportunity, and I, I liked what I saw. And then all of a sudden, two or three games later, he made a couple of nice plays in the outfield, found out that he was a solid defensive outfielder that can give us something from the left side that we were not getting out of a couple of other guys that were getting opportunities and we kept giving him opportunities and he kept proving us right that he could be a contributor and he's done a great job for us in the last five games let's talk quickly about arkansas and i'll wrap things up here momentarily coach obviously they're a national seed You've not had success against Arkansas in the postseason, so you know what that program is, is all about. And they've got a guy named Isaiah Campbell who's 12-1 and one with a two-and-a-quarter ERA and what jumped out to me, 115 Ks and 20 walks. So obviously he's got command. Well, he's going to come right at you. He's, he's a mid-'90s guy. He's got an excellent slider that he'll throw at any time. He's got a very good changeup. He's just a guy that – was drafted, I believe, in the fifth round last year and came back to school. 
very unusual. I don't know what Dave Van Horn is saying to his guys, but I need to talk to him because we would sure love to keep a fifth rounder. (laughs) (laughs) How will you handle your rotation? Oh, we'll go with what we've done in the past. Uh, Drew Parrish will pitch Saturday, and Van Eyck will pitch on Monday. Had you been in the Sunday-Tuesday bracket, might that have been a tougher call given how C.J. has pitched? Yeah, I would have to say yes because uh, C.J., of course, did have another very good outing. But I think sometimes because Drew doesn't strike as many out as C.J. does that we forget how many jams he got out of as a result of being very composed, not getting down on himself, not painting I mean, pointing fingers at guys that might have, you know, messed up a certain play or a situation. He's a winner from the word go. There is a young man that was an eighth rounder that we would love to have back with us next year. But let's just see that he is a Seminole. He is a guy that is a great teammate. And let's just hope he can have his usual good outing. 11, way back game number one as you're, when you were head coach, not the result because I know what happened that weekend at Miami, but what else happened in the sports universe in that same span the day you coached your first game? You remember? Oh, absolutely. It was the year the hockey team beat Russia. It was uh, everything, everything. It wasn't just the year. It was that day, wasn't it? Same, same day or so you coached your first game? Yep. Yep, sure did. In fact, everything stopped when – the game when the hockey game was over, it was announced that we had beaten the Russians, and I, I can honestly say I remember being exuberant. I was excited. Uh, certainly, I cared about the fact that we got shut out, but it was so encouraging to know that our hockey team could play with anybody. That game has become immortalized by Al Michaels' phrase, "Do you believe in miracles?" Kind of has that feel as you go for one last run here, eleven. Well, you know, Tom, I've been so blessed. Uh, The good Lord has been right there leading me through this, and I'm just so excited about getting back to Omaha to compete for the national championship. We're certainly not intimidated. We're not the least bit concerned about anybody but ourselves. And these young men are going to go out there and battle and give it the best they've got, and let's see what happens. Thank you, Levin. Best of luck. Thank you, Tom. Mike Martin, that conversation yesterday. And so if if Florida State got to the championship game, well, certainly somebody would create this and put it on Twitter. But I think we might actually need to get Al Michaels and pull him to TD Ameritrade for the last out so he can again say, do you believe in miracles? Because the very first game he coached in 1980, that happened. And... I mean, you're looking at me, but it would be a miracle, would it not, based on where this team was, to have that ending? Again, you start thinking about all of the different things, how many times 11 has come up, how well the team has performed, how much different in certain situations Martin has made calls versus calls he would make in the past. Everything is lining up. I mean, you again, realistically, you know, Florida State's chances in Omaha are – 20%, 30%. I mean, they're, they're, they're going to be a lesser unranked team. You look at all the metrics. You look at the numbers, blah, blah, Te- blah, blah, blah. Technically, blah. they're 12.5%, I think, if you do the math on Probably 18s, so. right? Probably so, or, or maybe even less than that, yeah. to be honest. 
but everything is lined up. It does it does make you at least pause. It makes you pause and say to yourself, what if? What if? Arkansas was catching a foul ball away from being the national champs last year. So is that good or bad as they go into this tournament and game? Well, I think I think 11 said it and I, and I do believe this to be true. This team is not intimidated by anything. They they have no reason to be. They're they're, all, they're going to be the underdog in every game, I would think. Uh, they've been the underdog in in the regional. They've been the underdog in the super regional. They 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 weren't expected to do. At one point, they weren't even expected to get into the tournament. So why would they be intimidated by anything? I mean, if nothing else, be naive and and you know keep the blinders on and keep your head down and plow ahead. Yeah, I agree. You got it's been house money since you got in the tournament, and they've played like it. They've they've played well. To those of you going to Omaha, have fun, have fun this weekend, and uh, hopefully it's an extended stay because it really is. It's a good trip if you're a baseball fan and a college. Well, and game. and to be fair, and especially, again, especially and I've not been there. I'm not. Excuse me. The people of Omaha is what makes the tournament unbelievable. I'm told. Well, it's the people of Omaha, but it's also the fact that when you go the first weekend, there's fans from eight schools there so if you ever go to a final four obviously you get four fan bases for the first few days so you know you get there friday between friday and tuesday there's fans of the other seven schools there and it's uh you know it's cordial it's hospitable it's it's not like it's your well in this case it really will be because miami and florida is not there so fsu fans will really have a good time now we've we've got to go to the break and we want to talk with tim but but help me remember in segment four you have got to tell our listeners about how much fun it is to line up to try to get a ticket for a game that you don't have a ticket in Omaha. (laughs) Well, I will suggest that it might not be as difficult this year, although I'm sure Arkansas is bringing a passionate fan base and other schools. But LSU's not there this year. And that experience was two years ago when LSU was there, and so was everybody who lives in Baton Rouge. And that line was long. we got to save it. you still got to tell us the story. Okay, I'll do it. I'm, I'm making a note right now. We'll come back. Our Seminoles.com insider is uh, ready to go. He's been with the Knowles. He'll be with them this week. He may be the difference. We're putting it all on Tim's shoulders, and uh, he'll explain how they're going to get it done when we come back on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Online at ctf.nu. Here's Tom and Keith. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. It is uh, one of our favorite times of the week as we say hello to our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefelt. He joins us via the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. Tim, I guess the obvious starting point do you go medium or medium well on your steaks? Oh, come on now. I'm, I'm medium rare, buddy. Medium rare, okay. Uh-huh. Yeah, and, and I would go rare before I went medium well. Okay. All right, do you have a – you've been to Omaha a few times before. You What's your I, favorite cut? What's your favorite cut? I am a ribeye guy. Ding, 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 ding. Uh, I have a winner. For all your steak questions now, that's not a problem. <laughs> yeah, well, and what, what's your favorite steakhouse then in Omaha? Well, I've, I've been to a few of them. My, uh, my favorite, the one that I like the most is probably the Grover. Um, 
which I think is kind of like one of you know one of the famous ones. They have the whiskey steaks there. They marinate them in whiskey and like ranch sugar and whatnot, and it's it's delicious. Uh, but apparently, uh, how about this, you guys? Uh, the, the drover is closed. They had a fire in their kitchen a few months back, and they haven't reopened yet. So I'm going to have to find somewhere else to go. Well, based on the conversation uh, I had yesterday with Mike Martin that our listeners just heard, uh, you're going to enjoy a steak tonight. There's more than one option. Yeah, yeah. It, it, there's yeah, more, than, more than one I option. Think, I think I think, I think uh, Omaha Prime is, uh, is up tonight, uh, and I've been there before, and it's also spectacular. So... Uh, yeah, I think I, as I, if I remember that right, it's one of those places where like they uh, they literally like roll a cart of like the the meat over to you and you like pick it out and then they go and and cook it and do whatever. So yeah, it's uh it's pretty awesome. Not a lot of places like that in Tallahassee. So well, you're you're gonna have a good time. I'm jealous. I've been out there several times before though, so I, I can't be that jealous. I am excited for the team and everybody going. Uh, before we get to the more serious stuff, uh, I asked Mike Martin this question too. So what what flavor shake do you get at Zesto's, Tim? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a traditionalist, man. I like the uh, the chocolate shake uh, myself. And uh, although you know you're you're the, if you make a little run, you're there long enough, you really can try kind of all of them. But I find that the uh, the strawberry is a nice change of pace. Do you restrict uh, it to one a day, or have you gone double a day uh, occasionally? I mean, KJ, you see me before, haven't you? I think uh, you know every, every once in a while, you uh, one in the morning, one in the evening. I there you go. That's our boy. Yeah. I want to. Let's let's start with this premise, Tim. Sports to me is always when it's your team. When the unex when there are no expectations, and and then the unexpected happens. And I think of basketball a few years ago when they made the Elite Eight run. Clearly, what baseball is doing right now. I'm sure there's lots of other examples. Even 2013, nobody knew the football team was going to look like that. Then once we got a few games in, we realized, yeah, they are going to look this. It, it's to me, it's always so much more enjoyable than when it's the other way and your preseason number one or highly thought of, and then you start nitpicking wins. Why didn't we win by three touchdowns? Why did we only win by six points? Would you agree? Oh, absolutely! Gosh, and you know, not to not to belabor the point, but you know, think back like you mentioned football in 2013 and how fun that was. And then a year later, when the expectations were there, and it was, you know, I don't know what your experience was, but I remember it being kind of a slog to get through that season, and just you know, it was tough. But but yeah, man, I mean, this it, it's it's such a, a pleasant surprise, and with this baseball team, I mean, it's to the nth degree, right? I, you know, and and it was just so recently that that things. You know, didn't look anywhere approaching this good, um, and I think we might have said it on this show a couple weeks ago. Um, we'd be into the uh, the NCAA tournament, or, or maybe even the ACC. It's like it was a weird deal with this team because obviously the the regular season uh, didn't go the way that that they wanted it to. Um, but you always kind of knew in the back of your mind that this team at, and the roster was capable of more than what it was doing, and for one reason or another, it just wasn't coming together. But as is always the case with, with teams that maybe underachieve a little bit, you always keep it sort of, you know, the, the, the thought there that if they ever get it together, if it ever clicks, they're capable of doing some pretty cool stuff. That's just a matter of if it ever actually happens. And a lot of times with teams, you know, certainly over the course of 60 games, if it doesn't, you know, if it hasn't by June, it's not going to. But with this team, uh, it has, man. I mean, and, and guys are playing up to their expectations. Some guys are, you know, like a, like a Tim Becker, are completely breaking through in ways that we didn't think possible. Um, and it's just, it, it's kind of a treat to, to watch it and, and to follow it and see, you know, who's going to do it this time. You know, it was, it was Tim Becker in Athens. It was Reed Faber with the big home run uh, in Baton Rouge. And then Drew Mendoza, who is a guy, you know, who we did have expectations for. I mean, how cool of a moment was that for him, you know, in his year? 
uh, to be able to deliver the hit that, that takes Mike Martin and, and his teammates to Omaha. I mean, that's kind of a, you know, a career-defining moment for a guy who's had a really nice career. Um, so, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, who, if anybody, uh, you know, steps up and, and kind of delivers that memorable moment in Omaha because there's been so many of them so far. It's, it's hard not to imagine there's going to be more coming. Are we still grasping at straws or are we recognizing what you pointed to, that, that things may have finally come together to believe that we should be confident in this club or, or, or should we just be happy that they're out there regardless of the outcome? I mean, it can be a little bit of both, right? Uh, I think you should definitely be happy that they're out there regardless of the outcome. Uh, I think that you know, no matter what, knowing that Mike Martin's career is going to finish in Omaha, I just, it just feels appropriate, right? Uh, of course, look, you know, they have more to do. They, officially speaking, the weird thing about the College World Series is by the time you get there, you know, you're only halfway through the NCAA tournament. Uh, so they're only halfway to their, to their biggest goal. But just knowing that it's going to end out there no matter what happens, uh, you know, I think it's pretty cool. Uh, and, and look, man, it's, you know, in my opinion, it's a difficult field. Um, I mean, Arkansas is a really good player or a really good, good team with really good players and a, you know, a major league prospect that Florida State's going to be, uh, trying to hit against on Saturday. Uh, so it's going to be a challenge. But at the same time, you know, man, I mean, it's, you know, you, you kind of bring up the, I guess you would call them soft factors. Like it's, it's going to be hard to get through that, that bracket. And I'm sure if you get to that championship series, it's going to be hard to do that too. But you know, I mean, it was going to be hard going to Athens and winning. It was going to be hard going to, to LSU and Alex Fox Stadium and winning two games there, uh, and, and they've done it. So at this point, you know, if you're if you're looking to bet against them, you know, that's that's kind of your business at this point, right? Tim, I should know the answer to the question. I, I shouldn't ask it without knowing the answer. But were were you at practice yesterday, Mike Martin's last time on Mike Martin Field at Hauser I Stadium? Did, I did go out there. Yes. What What was that like? What were you thinking? Well, you know, I, it was funny. I don't think anybody was really thinking about it at all uh, until he brought it up. And he even said, you know, I was just riding here today when it occurred to me that this would be the last practice. And, yeah, man, it, it, it kind of takes you back for a moment. But it was funny because you don't really have time or you don't really feel like reflecting on that kind of stuff right now because, you know, you're going to Omaha in 24 hours. So whereas I think had, you know, had the season not taken the turn, that it did, you know, maybe you look back and, and you know, see the, the last time for this or, or what have you know, any of those types of last moments, and there's been a lot of them. Um, but, uh, you know, you, you got so much to look forward to. Um, it, it, it's kind of almost a footnote. And, you know, maybe one day we'll, we'll kind of look back at all those moments and, and attach some significance to them. But right now everything is, is looking ahead. Tim, Keith and I didn't get into the details of this, but in the moment and certainly that night, meaning Saturday night, I couldn't come up with something in my brain that stuck out in terms of a, a plate appearance or an at-bat that was better than what Reese Albert uh, constructed in that 11-pitch at-bat that resulted in that three-run tying homer. So if we widen that and include you know, game-winning field goals, I guess, last-second scores. Uh, I mean, I guess you'd have to put the, the KB catch in there in 13, as I'm thinking about. What what else on the FSU landscape or specific to baseball resonates in terms of what he did? And It was a six-minute at-bat where, yeah. he, where he fouled off, what, five or six pitches before leaving the yard. Yeah, I, man, I, it, it's tough to kind of draw a parallel to it. You know, my first thought when you were asking – when I think of like great individual performances like that, I mean, when baseball is so contained in the individual's bat, my first thought really was uh, David Estelke's with the, uh, the the thirty point game 
there was a 33 against North Carolina uh, a couple years back. Um, yeah, I mean, the some of the catches and some of those plays, but it's just it's so hard to draw a parallel because, you know, KB had the great career and obviously a great catch, but, it, you know, the catch took six seconds, right? You know, Reese Albert, that bat took a long, you know, a long time. I mean, six minutes, 11 pitches. Uh, I really don't know that I've ever seen anything, given the the circumstances and the moment and the stage and where Florida State was in that game uh, in its season. Uh, and I don't know if there's anything quite like it, uh, to be perfectly honest with you. And it, it really is a fascinating I, – I think, you know, I mean, all, all sports are cool in their own way and have, have, you know, fun mental games and test matches and whatever else. But, man, the – the battle, the back and forth between a pitcher and a batter in a situation like that in baseball, I think, is just one of the coolest dynamics in, in all of athletics and sports. I just love watching that. I really enjoyed talking to Reese after the game about it. I, and I tell you also, it was really uh, cool to talk to. I chatted with uh, with Drew Mendoza a little bit about that at bat, and he's in the on deck circle watching it unfold. And I asked him, I think, man, you know, what's what's kind of that that feel like being there? And his answer was, was pretty cool. He said it. Uh, it depends on the kind of player you are. Because some guys, you get up there, and the more you see different pitches, the more you foul them off, the more you stay alive. You get a better beat on the pitcher. You get more and more confident, and you kind of tilt the seesaw toward you. And, or the other side of it is that you get more and more nervous. You get more and more kind of gripping the bat a little tighter, shaking a little bit, and, and eventually you give in. And, uh, and I think you know, we saw what Reese's response to that scenario was. But if you go back and watch that at bat, like you can, you can see the the pitcher. You can see him kind of losing his nerve. Like the second time that uh, the Reese fouls the ball off, he's, he's you know he's stepping on the mound, stepping off, second second, just kind of looks uncomfortable with his body language. Um, and so you can kind of see that that sort of test of wills and test of nerve playing out in uh, in real time. And of course, none of that's a guarantee that a guy's gonna you know hit a three run bomb out of the, out of the park. But you can you can kind of you know. Going back and knowing how it happened, you can see signs of it coming if you go back and, and sit through the six minutes of that at bat. Well, the biggest thing that jumps out to me on that at bat is look where the ball is that he hit out of the ballpark. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, I, I, it was ball four in my estimation. Yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, he said it was where he wanted it. There was one that was definitely ball four. Um, that, uh, but, you know, and, and, you know, Reese was saying it's like, Again, that situation, what you what you don't want is to strike out with the bat on your shoulder. So he was having to be, uh, you know, a little less selective with uh, with the pitches than he than he normally would. Uh, but he said, you know, he he won a fastball middle in, and, and he got one, and, and maybe it would have been ball four, but it was probably one that uh, oh. that he thought he could do. It, something. it was low by my estimation, and it went high out of the ballpark. I, I do think it's. <laughs> It's it's easier for us to assess that it was going to be a ball when you're standing up there. Oh, there's no question. When you first recognize it, you're thinking this is going to be pretty close. I better swing. We're yeah. we're judging the result on where it where it would end. Not only did- I will say this though, I was so I was watching the game uh, with my wife at an establishment in town and my kids, and so we didn't have the volume up. And when he hit it, I thought he absolutely destroyed that. But now you're watching in a bar and you see it. And there really was no great indicate. Did he hit it out? There was like this delay. Everybody in the bar, nobody knew. Did did that just go where we think it did? Because you couldn't see the ball come down. No, right. I, I, I was yeah. going to say even on the replays, my, my, it was going to be my question to you two guys. Did you pick up where the ball was? I, I mean, you were there. Uh, yeah, yeah, but, I, I can say where it was. But, uh, <laughs> but on TV, you had. I, I, it was about the fifth replay before I could yes. find the ball hitting and then bouncing over the eave of that of that building. 
I don't usually get critical about TV broadcasts, but it, they had a struggle this weekend on some of their yeah, camera angles and replays. I didn't, I didn't get to see much of it. I, I can tell you at the LS has a new uh, baseball facility uh, beyond the, the wall in right field. It's got to get to, you know, they're all up at their offices, and I think there's a new weight room and some other things. And it's got the really nice Spanish tile on the roof, and, uh, and Reese's ball uh, bounced off that pretty Spanish tile a few times before finally getting uh, to the ground. Did, you, did Reese talk to the media yesterday or no? Uh, he did not know. What were your thoughts on? So that was the good. The bad was the next day it looked like he was trying to hit a three-run homer every at bat, and he wound up yeah. striking out five times. So do we think everybody? Do, do we think that's a one-game aberration, and he'll reset his mind because he was John with the LSU fans? I mean it. It didn't look like the best mental approach that you wanted to have the rest of the day on Sunday. Well, yeah, I guess that's the. The, uh, the natural response for, you know, for six with five strikeouts. But I will say, you know, it feels a little unfair to me to, to single Reese out completely. Um, I thought that there were a lot of instances in that game where guys went up um, and just took the biggest swings you've ever seen uh, on the first pitch. And everybody, you know, trying to trying to hit it out and, and you know, end the game or, or get a big lead or just kind of swing the momentum. Uh, you know, it's easy to forget now, and it's, it, you know, it's just sort of a – uh, like again, a footnote, given the way the series turned out. But you know, until the twelfth inning, when when they ended up winning the game, Florida State hadn't had a hit since the fourth. So it had been a while. You know, I think I think they had maybe one base runner had gotten hit by a pitch. Other than that, LSU had been just about dominant. So you know, Reese didn't have a great day at the plate that day, but you know, nobody did for for long stretches of it. And I think, you know, you said I think people were just trying to you know maybe getting away from their typical plate approach and swing a little harder than they normally would. And, and I look, you also have to give credit to LSU pitchers, particularly the, the Devin Fontenot. Uh, I mean, he was awesome. And I think he just didn't have anything left in the tank by the end of it. You know, that, that happens sometimes. Well, he so, should have. He, he threw eight innings, I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it, his previous season high uh, was uh, yeah, pitches was like 60, and he was in the 80s or 90s um, by uh, by Sunday night. So all that to say, I you know, I don't really worry – too much about that uh you know i think it's just kind of the the, the moment and the circumstance uh but you know the guys have all week to kind of get right and, and kind of reset mentally uh and i don't have any you know any any major concerns about that i think it's kind of a pretty unique circumstance two more uh first one just a short answer were you as surprised as the rest of us that they pitched to drew mendoza i was yeah i was i was texting people during the at bat that yeah. i thought that they would uh that they would, would put him on and, and take their chances with the freshman but yeah, Paul Maneri said afterward that, uh, and, and he's right, um, that they were trying to get a strikeout and that, that Drew Mendoza has a higher strikeout rate than Matt Nelson, uh, which, okay, I don't, I don't know. I'm, well, would I, been, my, it would have been Robbie Martin, theory, right? Or I'm sorry, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, Robbie Martin, Martin, my brain cramp there. But, uh, yeah, Robbie Martin on deck. And he's right. He's right. Drew Mendoza does have a higher strikeout rate than Robbie Martin. But um, at the same time, I don't know. My, my theory is that they just sort of, lost track of the moment and started pitching to him before they really had a chance to think about it. And then, you know, they got him, they got him one, two. So at that point you're thinking, okay, well, let's just see this thing through. Um, and I just, you know. I, I was completely shocked that it was an intentional walk. And then when they started to pitch, I thought, well, surely they're just going to really work the edge, not give them anything. And then I'm like, oh, they're actually pitching. All yeah, right. no, I, I, I thought, you know, I remember I was sitting next to, so uh the, the SID and and, uh, and marketing crew and I I said man and then we were we were talking about through the whole of bat and 
I said, okay, well, they're going to fish to him and, you know, watch. They're, they're not going to give him anything that he can really do anything with. And if he swings through, great. If not, they'll, they'll walk him. Uh, but that was uh, well, even the, the case. Even the day before, following the Albert three-run homer, I mean, Mendoza hit it as well as you can hit it to the track. I mean, yeah, and that's yeah. out like 99 times out of 100. So, yeah. And that would have given FSU the lead in that point. So now the very next night, they've already seen what he did the day before the pitch. Anyway, that's a LSU. I, I, I think it was a mistake. I mean, certainly I think it was a mistake to pitch him, but I, I think, I mean, I don't know. We'll, we'll never know for sure, but I, I don't think they meant to do that. Because otherwise, I just, it's hard yeah. to make sense of that. Yeah, yeah. Martin has a, you know, Mendoza has a higher strikeout rate, but he also has a higher I'm a hero rate in his career at FSU. Than oh, Martin exactly, exactly. You know? Here's the last one. I'll let you go. I, I know that it certainly didn't hurt the cause. Do you think that where Florida State has ended up has certainly helped and perhaps cemented Mike Martin Jr. as the next coach? Personally, yeah, I do. Uh, I don't know um... – yeah, I mean, I don't have any insider information on that, um, but uh, in terms of, um, you know, just looking at the situation and assessing it, yeah, I mean, personally, I, I, I thought that uh, it was probably enough last week uh, to get the Baton Rouge to the Super Eagle, but at this point, uh, I would be, uh, I, I personally would be surprised if, if it didn't work out that way, and, and quite frankly, I think, you know, at this point, man, you that, that feels to me, uh, again, just speaking for me and then not for the department or anything else, uh, that, that feels... Uh, right and appropriate. I mean, you know, we're you know, teams about to get on a plane to go to Omaha. Like that's they're one of the last eight teams playing. I mean, say what you want for the rest of it, but the the results, are right? Hey, I, I'm with you on it. Wholeheartedly agree. I am with you on it. Um, we will see you uh, in about ten days uh, out in Omaha. Twelve days, maybe. Tim, we're uh, staying in your room. By the, the way, on the off chance that that doesn't happen, uh, Keith is asked. Uh, did you say medium or medium well? Oh, oh, medium rare. Oh, you're medium rare, too. Oh, yes. Okay. Oh, yes. And I'll just take a chocolate shake if you could bring those back for us <laughs> and, and see how they travel, okay? You got it, fellas. All right. Our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Lenefeld. We'll, we'll take a break, come back, and wrap things up on Front Row Knowles after this. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Online at ctf.nu. Here's Tom and Keith. And we do give a big shout-out to Ron and his knowledgeable staff at Cornerstone Tool and Fastener for their longtime support of the program. Go out and see them. Tell them we sent you uh, there uh, to, to see them. And uh, maybe they can construct five more victories for the Knowles this week. What do you think next two weeks? Uh, if anybody can, they can. You asked me earlier in the show to tell the ticket line story. Week from Monday, when you and I are out there trying to get a ducket into this game. Hopefully we know somebody that can at least get us Let's a ticket we that don't. we can purchase. How does it work? I, well, and uh, this was just two years ago, so clearly I didn't have the connections then either, right? So should I explain how it works? I guess I'll explain how it works and then the rationale. So this is how it works. Every line you've ever waited in in the history of lines potentially has been you line up and there's person number one, number two, and... So I got in line for tickets. This was uh, two years ago at the World Series. Uh, they might have been actually for an LSU game, not the FSU game. might have been LSU's second game I was trying to get tickets to. I don't remember. doesn't matter. I was about number 614 in line, and they had some low number of tickets, right around 600 or so probably. So I was on the borderline. Well, then 
just as the ticket office gets ready to open, here comes two security officers and a random uh, employee of the ticket office. And they walk all the way back. Now they're at person 450, person 500, person 550. They go past me and they stop at like person 650. Boom. And they literally, uh, they don't literally, but they basically draw a line in the sand. And that person that was number 651 was now the front of the line. And so they moved the line entirely up. And the other 650 of us that were in front now assumed our appropriate place in the back of the line, at which point I left because now I was number 1,200 in line or whatever, and I knew they didn't have that many tickets. How do they determine what the number is? I don't know how they determine that. The reason they do it is because what was happening whenever they put remaining tickets on sale, this is day of the game, scalpers were were the first 100 people in line and bought all the tickets. So they said, we'll fix that. So they have this arbitrary system where if you're a legitimate fan that was number two, not a scalper, you're totally hosed because now you're number 1,500. And what the scalpers have done is instead of lining up one to 100, they just line up every 10 or 15 people, and they're all in it together, and they get the, they get the tickets anyway. <laughs> so there's a there's – We a, better hope we know somebody. <laughs> we, I've, ne- I've never seen it done like that, but that's the way it works, and hopefully we're dealing with that issue in about 12 days. We're out of time, Keith. That would be a week from Monday, right? It would be. He's Keith. I'm Tom. Enjoy the College World Series. We'll talk to you next week on Front Row Knowles. Step from the road to the sea to the sky, and I do believe what we rely on when I lay